Hello, good morning and welcome to the latest edition of the Football Digest podcast. The season hasn't even started yet, but it feels like it's been quite a week already. What is going on at Tottenham with Harry Kane and his no-show? Is he right to stay away from training in his bid to force through a move to Man City? Or is he losing a lot of goodwill and respect? He's the England captain after all. When talking to City, the English champions are poised to complete the 100 million signing of Jack Grealish from Aston Villa, making the most extensive player in British history. What a statement this is from Pep Guardiola's champions. But where will Grealish fit in and will his move see his career scale new heights? It looks like Chelsea could be signing um, Romelu Lukaku in a £100 million deal that would smash their own transfer record. So we feel like the transfer window is really getting into full swing now. And will Grealish be involved in his Saturday's curtain raiser between um, City and Leicester in the Charity Shield at Wembley? And can Leicester put an early marker down in their bid to secure Champions League football this season, having come so close uh, in the last couple of seasons? Joining me to discuss all this and more, I'm delighted to say Simon Mullock, Chief Football Writer of the Sunday Mirror, Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, and Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado of the Daily Express. Welcome along, fellas. Um, I suppose we've got to start with the Kane situation. I've been quite shocked that Kane's, you know, behaved how he has this week. He's obviously been away in the Bahamas with his wife and delayed coming back. Should have been at training on Monday. Um, are you surprised that someone of his standing in the game has decided to act like that? In a lot of ways, yeah. Um, because, um, you know, players don't tend to, to force it, force issues the way they used to do, you know, by handing in transfer requests and things like that. Clearly, Harry Kane had a date to report back to training after... Um, his uh, efforts at the Euros and he should have been back in training this week and has deliberately not turned up and I, I, you know I'm hearing that from the Kane camp that um, he's been surprised at the the kind of level of, of, of outrage that this has caused well he's kind of if, if he is then he's completely misjudged it because it's not just Spurs fans who are surprised that he hasn't turned up um, it's football fans in general um, just to play devil's advocate though you know, when, when Kane signed that six-year contract um, back in 2018, I think it was, Spurs were a club that were on the up and up. You know, Maurizio Pochettino was doing a great job. They were competing at the top of the Premier League. Um, you know, they were qualifying for the Champions League. They reached the Champions League final. They had the, the new stadium um, basically in place and, and, you know, being built. And Spurs looked like a club that were, were on the up and up. Um, and it couldn't go wrong. And we've basically seen since 2019 and, and that Champions League defeat uh, to Liverpool that the club the club have just kind of faded and slipped away. And, you know, you've got to ask whether um, whether the project that was sold to Harry Kane when he, when he sold that, when he signed that six-year contract uh, is now something that's in the dim and distant future. Um, having said that, he's a professional football footballer He's contracted to the club and he should be reporting for pre-season training on time. Matt, what's the feeling at Tottenham in terms of Daniel Levy? Uh, uh, there's some suggestion that he's obviously not too happy with Kane and how he's behaved. Do you think this will just strengthen his resolve to try and keep him even more? Yeah, I don't see it. Unless the only thing that talks to Daniel Levy is, is big, big money. And it has to be kind of punitively big money because... What Le- Levy sees the big picture in terms of the, the business of running Tottenham. And what he knows is 
there's only four places to qualify for the Champions League, which is where the big, you know, regardless of a few million on Kane's transfer fee here or there, um, if you, if Spurs consistently fail to finish in those top four places, then that's where they're going to lose their money by 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 missing out on that gravy train. So the last thing he really wants to do is sell what his prize asset to a rival who will nail down one of those places uh, and make it even easier for them. Um, that's why in the past players like Luka Modric uh, wasn't allowed to go to Chelsea, but but was sold to Real Madrid. He's quite happy to take the money off of a Spanish team. But I think what Kane's lost in his understanding of any gentleman's agreement is that it's a lot easier for Levy to sell him abroad. Um, uh, and uh, But unfortunately, the, the Spanish clubs haven't got the money this summer. The only teams that really have got that, the sort of money that Levy's going to want, is Manchester City. So so he's got it wrong. With, with, with regards to that contract, yeah, as Simon said, you know, I don't see that the project's changed. They, they've just, Spurs have gone through a, a lull uh, since he signed it. It's not been for want of trying. They've still spent money on the team. They've invested in the stadium. Um, so when Kane signs this project thinking he's saying, it's, it's a bit like if you're a player signing for Liverpool in 1990 and uh, feeling you're going to win titles every year. You know, things change in football. And unfortunately, Kane signed thinking that he was on the cusp of great things at Spurs. And it just hasn't happened through for various reasons that, yeah, everyone at Spurs is trying to be successful. They are still investing in the team. Um, and it's just petulant to, to sign for a club, uh, you know, to commit yourself for six years. By the way, having had ligament trouble uh, problems by that stage already, you know, he, he was one bad injury away from being paid for six months, uh, six years, sitting on the sidelines. You know, that, that that's the support Spurs showed him. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, it all boils down to just one decision that he made when he was away from football um, because, effectively, he, he booked the wrong flight home. You know, if he booked one that got him back in time to quarantine for the, for, for Monday, this is all fine. But he's looked at it, thought, do you know what I'm owed? The least I can do is a few extra days holiday. Spurs owe me that. Uh, and he's made a really bad judgment call on that because there's no way back now. Be, you know, it's not like he can say, oh, sorry, I'll come in tomorrow um, be, because he's locked into to his you know, plan of action. And and I think he's he's made that decision perhaps you know, in the immediate aftermath of the Euros with family pressure, you know, away from a football environment where he's not really thought it through. Uh, and, and he's he's now sort of stuck with that that action, uh, and I think he's got a lot of making up to do to Spurs fans. That that um, yeah, when he does report back, uh, and I'm surprised by his silence, to be honest, um, because I think the Spurs fans at least deserve an explanation, even if they don't agree with him. Andy, can you hear us? Yeah, it's a question whether you can hear me. Yeah, we can. You're back. Welcome back. I would just like to pick. I would just, if, if I am coming across in any way, shape or form, I would like to pick up there on Matt's last point. That's the one point I think is really important. You talk about loyalty. Kane talks about loyalty in his interview with Gary Neville, saying that he'd given 16 years to, to Spurs, which is true. But the Spurs fans have given 16 years to Harry Kane. They've been loyal to him when he's had, you know, the fallow spells. They've been loyal to him when he's been injured. They pay his considerable wages they buy the merchandise they buy the tickets they support harry kane they deserve to me some explanation about what exactly is going on instead of you know which is great for us briefings behind the scenes this is what's happening well you know harry kane i think owes them at least 
the goodwill, the decency to turn around and say, listen, guys, this is this is the way it is. I think I've got an agreement with Daniel Levy that I can go. Um, I want to go. It's a, it's a hard move for me to make. You know, I, I love this club, but I want to we'll go and win trophies. I think that lack of transparency from Kane is the key thing here. I don't think any of us would blame him for wanting to go and have a new challenge in his career and try and win trophies. And, and listen, let's face it as well, earn a lot more money. But I do think that he owes an explanation to Spurs fans about exactly why he's going. You know, we can all surmise, but I think it would be a good move of him to turn around and say, listen, this is why I want to go. It's hard, it's tough, but this is why I want to go. Can I just mention, mention two things? that um, First of all, in this day and age um, where footballers pay their advisors a lot of money to give them advice, I find it incredible that a footballer... Um, as as taking a gentleman's agreement as a, as a promise that he can leave in the future, <laughs> if um, if things don't go well, I mean a, a gentleman's agreement in in football is worth the paper it isn't written on. You know, absolutely incredible. And the second yeah. thing is, I just wonder whether Kane would have taken this course of action if Tottenham hadn't been playing Manchester City on the opening day of the Premier League season, and whether yeah. that kind of complicated a, a little bit more in his mind and that was one of the the reasons why he's decided to stay away Sai can I just ask you about obviously Kane's agent is his brother um, there's some suggestions that Charlie his brother has been has been sort of leaking stuff to the papers and stuff to try and sort of force the issue you always want it, especially in a deal of this magnitude you, as a player you probably want your agent to be the smartest man in the room now I'm not saying Charlie Kane is not the smartest man in the room but do you think Kane was, A, naive to sign that six-year deal in the first place? And secondly, do you think Kane is probably wishing right now he had an Amino Real or, or a, a George Mendes in his camp fighting his corner, some, some agent with real gravitas and power and leverage? Well, I mean, these days, players don't, don't uh, buy into gentlemen's agreements. What, what they do is they get their agent to put a buy in, buyout clause into the contract and, and that solves absolutely everything. You know, and that's not that's not something that's just coming over the last couple of years. You know, there there are buyout clauses have become more and more prevalent over the last decade, and I find it incredible that you would rely on a gentleman's agreement to get out of a, a, a six year contract. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense that you would kind of uh, accept that. And um, clearly, Daniel Levy has, has played an absolute blinder again in terms of negotiating that contract. So simple put a buyout clause in there and it's it's a black and white issue. Just before we move on to Man City and Jack Grealish, can I just ask you, all three of you, do you think, yes or no, that Kane will be a City player by the end of the transfer window? Matt? I don't yes, think so, me. No, I don't think he will. I don't think that, Lee, that City will offer enough money to persuade Levy to let him go. And it's all almost become a principal thing as well for him. Andy? No, yes, I, I, I think he will. I, I think he, he'll end up there. I just can't see that he would have put himself in his position without having some sort of, you know, I wouldn't say cast iron, but some sort of guarantee that he's going to go. So if you were City, what would what would you, would you pay the £150 million? Um, No, um, because, you know, Kane's 28, he's had problems with his ankles, Um 
he's, he's a great goal scorer, don't get me wrong. You know, he's, he's one of the finest goal scorers that the Premier League has ever seen. Um, you know, at his best, he's up there with the very best. But £150 million, no, I think that's uh, that's too expensive, particularly in this scenario where, you know, we're just coming off the back of a, a global pandemic. I think that, you know, we were all hoping that there would be a readjustment in the transfer market. And we've seen over the last 24, 48 hours that that hasn't been the case, in, certainly in the Premier League anyway. Elsewhere in Europe, you know, the reality's bitten quite hard. But in terms of Premier League clubs, they're still going for it, hammer and tong. Um, I wouldn't pay 150 million, but going back to your original question, I think Kane will end up at Man City before the, the transfer window closes. Andy, um, it looks like Grealish might join City today, if not today, tomorrow. He's in Manchester tying up the loose ends. Um, I saw that someone put on Twitter last night a video, some video footage of um, Pep Guardiola being asked a question mid-season about whether or not he thought clubs, including his own, would spend big amounts of money on big, big transfers this summer post the pandemic, which Simon just referred to. And he was adamant, actually. He said, no, no, absolutely. I think he was quoted as saying, no chance, it won't happen. Fast forward a few months and just spent £100 million on a player who's won 12 England caps, he's never played in Europe, never played in the Champions League. I'm not saying he's not a great player because he's a great player. But £100 million, that is an astonishing amount of money to pay, isn't it? Given that what, what the game has been through with the COVID and everything. No, it's incredible. It's um, you know, and also 100 million pounds for an attacking midfielder because they obviously haven't got enough of those at Manchester City. You know, it's just what they need. So let's pay 100 mil in a position that we've got. You know, um, loads and loads of them. It's incredible. On the broad points about the money, I am surprised. But you know, you're looking at City and at Chelsea. You know, throwing money probably at Romelu Lukaku. Um, United spending now over 100, it, when Varane is, is finally rubber stamped, you're looking at in excess of, well in excess of £100 million, maybe more to come. I find it amazing. Yeah, I really do. Um, I mean, as for the actual Grealish move, when you say one or two loose ends to be tied up, I, I'll be interested to see, considering what he's been through in recent months, um, I, I assume the medical will go without a hitch, but, you know, I don't think that's a formality. That's another thing why I think is it, it, it's a really big price for someone who, who's had some injury worries in, in recent months. Um, but yes, you're right on the broad point. And another broad point on that, by the way, is, is that bear in mind City, Chelsea, United all look like they're going to spend big money in this summer transfer window. Big money. And these are the clubs that not long ago were, were, were trying to turn over the rest of the Premier League. You know, so the punishments for them worked very well, didn't they? They, 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 they That taught them. <laughs> Simon, might be a, an apt point to bring you in on this. What, what plan do you think... Um, Pep has for Grealish in terms of how he fits into that team. Because like Andy referred to, they've got Sterling, they've got oh. Mares, they've got Torres, they've got Foden. Um, Bernardo. Bernardo, who could leave him maybe if um, if the sign came. But, you know, it, Grealish is obviously going from being a, a big fish in a small pond to another wonderful player amongst dozens of wonderful players that they already have. What, yeah. How do you see it panning out for him at, in that team? You know, under Pep Guardiola, I don't think any player knows how they're going to fit in. I mean, look at, um, you know, look at De Bruyne, probably the finest central midfield player, um, in certainly in Europe, play, basically played as a centre-forward in the 
in the Champions League final. You know, yeah. Raheem Sterling can play through the middle, he can play out wide. Um, you know, this is what Pep does. He, he brings players in and he doesn't just, just expect, he won't expect Jack Grealish to, to play out wide left. He'll expect him to play through the middle when, when asked to do. He'll be asked to play, um, you know, wide right. He could even ask to be asked, asked to be played as a as a as a deep line centre forward like De Bruyne has. So I, I think that from I think from Grealish's perspective, it's a really exciting move because I think he will become and develop into a, a better player than he is now, and that's quite an exciting prospect, not just for Man City fans, but for for England as well. But going back to your your earlier point about Pep talking about you know, not spending £100 million on a, on a player. You've got to take managers with a pinch of salt, in, you know, including the best ones. I remember a few years ago, um, Jurgen Klopp saying that Liverpool would not, could not and would not spend huge amounts of money on, on transfers. And then they, they made uh, Virgil van Dijk the most expensive central defender in the world and Alisson the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. You know, he, he realised that at some point he had to take a sledgehammer to it and look what happened to Liverpool they were in the Champions League final, won the Champions League and then won the Premier League. So, yeah, listen, I, I, th- I think most people who, who knew the way that, that managers operate had a, had a smile on their faces when they when they heard Pep say that, you know, City couldn't afford to buy, buy Jack Grealish. But wow. it's a, sorry, sorry just, yeah. just quickly, if I could, uh, uh, ask Simon, because obviously he knows these things. What, what do you think does any other club in the world, who have already got De Bruyne and Phil Foden on the books, go out and buy Jack Grealish. No, I just, you know, I, no, I mean, but, but, I just no, but Pep, you know, he's he's been well documented as saying, you know, in a squad of twenty-five, give me a goalkeeper and twenty-four midfield players. He loves he loves playing midfielders, and he and he gets midfielders to adapt. He turned Jao Cancelo, you know, the, the Portuguese national right back into a, a central midfielder last year. At, yeah. at another point, he was playing left-back. You know, Pep loves players who've got adaptability. And, you know, midfielders tend to bring that adaptability. And I think that's why he, he saw something in Jack Grealish that he, he can really make use yeah. of. Mark, yeah, and he, and he's, sorry, sorry I, was just, I was just about to, about to say, a goalkeeper and 25 midfielders and a goalkeeper who thinks he's a midfielder. Correct, yeah. He's probably the best passer at the club. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Grealish, Grealish has been at Villa all his life supported them as a kid obviously it would be a bit of a wrench to go um, and Villa did all they could to keep him but he's obviously let his, his head rule his heart with this one uh, he wants to be winning uh, the biggest things in the game you can't blame him for that this is a wonderful opportunity isn't it if he can if he can adapt to the demands of Guardiola will make of him he can, he can really take his, his game onto another level altogether I think if you believe you're a good footballer, you've got to take these challenges on. I always uh, think when, when we say Jack Grealish, uh, the, the player when I was growing up that has had similar sorts of debates about was Matt Letizia, um, who and he's already won five more caps than Matt Letizia won. And Matt Letizia, to my recollection, was a far better player with a far, far better end product than Jack Grealish, um, who never took that chance, never moved away from his one club. Uh, despite offers from Manchester United, amongst others, uh, and we'll never know. He, he never became one of the greats because, you know, you know the true greats. He did, because he never really challenged himself on those biggest stages. Uh, and I think Jack Grealish is doing the right thing for him. 
ultimately, because he's not going to look back with any regrets. You know, he said it might not work out for him. And, and he might think, do you know what? Uh, you know, if I'd stayed at Villa, I'd have been a hero all my life. Yeah, the one club man, I'd have had that kudos. But if the, the biggest regret would be to look back and say, I wonder if I could have cut it at one of the really biggest clubs in the world. Uh, and I, I think he's got to take that chance now. Um, you know, he, it's the right time for him. You know, he's had offers before to join big clubs. Uh, uh, and I think he was right to wait then. But, but now he's got to go for it. And, and and let's see. Let's see how good he is. And I hope for his sake he's as good good as, you know, he believes he is, as good as Andy believes he is. Um, uh, and, he, and he, you know, lights up the the Premier League this season and, and also as Simon mentioned before we have that knockdown effect for England Andy if, if City do sign Kane as well and you, obviously you, you yeah. asked before you think you're confident they will can we just yeah. give them the title now if they if they if they sign if they sign Kane well yes I mean I wouldn't say you can just give them the title now because I think Manchester United um, have strengthened I think Liverpool are still pretty much the squad that actually pipped City to the title a couple of seasons ago Chelsea you know are the team that beat City in the Champions League final and they've got an incredible squad I mean they really have they're, they're, Thomas Tuchel's problem is going to be actually trimming that squad down to 25 and particularly if they get Lukaku so no I don't think you can give them the title I do think it just slightly I wouldn't say not Tarnish is the wrong word, but you know, if they do get greenish, which obviously they are going to get greenish, that's a certainty. Kane, maybe less of a certainty, but if they do come, you you do look at it and you think to yourself, you know, you like the way Peppers created this this team and, and, and some plays he's got in there that you haven't really known about have made a big difference. Ruben Diaz, for example. And it's been Pep's team in Pep's image. It just does smack of saying, right, I'm going to go out and buy the best English midfielder and I'm going to go and buy the best English striker or the best striker in the Premier League and possibly one of the best midfielders. And in a way, it's sort of so blindly obvious to go for those two players that it's almost it's almost as though you're thinking, well, is, is this the genius of Pep or basically the thudding power of a huge checkbook? So, Grealish, Grealish um, it's cost 100 million or it's going to cost 100 million, which is the same figure that um, it looks like Chelsea are considering paying into Milan for Lukaku. Um, that would be quite a, a statement of intent, wouldn't it, from Chelsea if they spend that much on Lukaku? Remember, if they sold him seven years ago for about 28 million to Everton, they're going to re sign him for it. Well, they're possibly going to re sign him for 100 million. It's a team that just won the Champions League. That would be quite a, quite a move from Chelsea, wouldn't it? I mean, well, last year, you know, listen, Tuchel did a great job when he when he came in and took over from Frank Lampard. But, you know, Chelsea last year for, for great swathes of the season were, were everything but the goal. You know, they created chances. They were a really exciting team to watch. Even under Lampard, I really enjoyed watching Chelsea. But they kind of struggled a little bit to put the ball in the net. You know, it, was, it wasn't an easy first season in the Premier League for Timo Werner. And clearly, Tuchel... Is looking to address that that kind of glaring problem by bringing in a, a player who is, you know, a, an elite goal scorer. Um, he scores goals where wherever he goes. Um, I, mean, I was reading um, last night, or I saw on TV last night, that if this deal goes through, 
you know, Lukaku will be the most expensive player in the world in terms of, you know, aggregate transfer fees yeah. paid. I think it's something along the lines of 300 million. Um, you know, but he is a player that does score goals in the Premier League. And that's, that's another reason, by the way, why I think that City will get Harry Kane is because a few months ago, um, you know, City were, were were briefing that there was a, there were a number of of names on that hit list to replace Sergio Aguero, and Romelu Lukaku was one of them. Now, um, you know, the Harry Kane situation at the moment looks really difficult, but City are nowhere near Lukaku now. Lukaku was one of the names on that wish list, and 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 that's been put to one side. So, listen, going back to Chelsea, I think it will, will give them a huge lift because, like I say, the only thing I thought they were they were lacking last season in terms of putting together a title charge was, was a goal scorer. Simon, I'm just intrigued. Um, where do you think Haaland is on that hit list now for City? Because um, he's obviously not going to move this summer. And if you sign Harry Kane, you, well, you're going to struggle to persuade a player like Haaland, aren't you, to, to come to you I'm a year down the line? I'm pretty sure, ha- well, Haaland was on that list. Um, t- two things, though, were, were sticking points. One was the £150 million pounds that Borussia Dortmund made it clear they would want. Um, and the second one was the fact that he's advised by a certain Mino Rayola, who is not, you know, Pep Guardiola's um, <laughs> most favourite agent. Um, the other thing as well, which I do think had an effect, by the way, was Haaland's performances against City in the Champions League. He was very, very. He was kept very, very quiet in those two games, and I just wonder whether City looked at it and thought he's not, you know, he's not ready, and he's certainly not ready to make a move, you know, for 150 million. Matt, what, what, if 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 Chelsea do go on and sign Lukaku, what, what, where does that leave the likes of Werner, Havertz, and Pulisic? Oh, ha- Havertz and Pulisic uh, will play alongside him, no problem right. at all. Um, Werner, oh bless him, he's. The Chelsea fans love him, but I've watched Chelsea already twice this preseason um, in the recent games against uh, Arsenal and uh, Spurs. And Spurs came back into the game last night where once they'd made a load of substitutions. So they absolutely, it was like watching, um, it was like watching a, a, the champions of Europe against a team that were just in the Europa Conference League. It was that wide a gap. Um, you know, they, they absolutely dominated Spurs. Uh, and what was missing at the end of it was a goal. Uh, and Werner put the ball in the net once when typically he was offside. Um, uh, and then he went through in the second half and managed to find the side netting when he really should have scored. It, and then he missed a really good chance against Arsenal as well. He just cannot buy a goal at the moment. But you put in a striker uh, with Pulisic has come on immensely. Uh, he's been really impressive in both those games when he's played. Um, Habits is his confidence has come on. You know, he scored in the Champions League final. You know, he feels now he's a player who can make a difference in the Premier League. Uh, and you you stick Lukaku between those two with Mason Mount somewhere in the mix and everybody else. Uh, and Lukaku, I can see why he wants to come to Chelsea because he knows he's going to score goals. Uh, and yeah, Werner, you know. <laughs> I think if they could sell him, they would do. But, but you know, just for some reason, he seems really popular and the fans are really behind him. But, but yeah, he, he's kind of holding that side back at the moment. Uh, and Lukaku, I, th- I, think, I think Lukaku would be a bigger signing for Chelsea than Grealish is for City. And it could be enough to swing the title to, towards Stamford Bridge. 
Ooh, that's a big claim, that, Matt. Andy, just on that subject, when you look at the players, I mean, the transfer window is now sort of getting into full swing. Mm. I feel like one of, when one of these big deals happens, it kicks <clears> out <throat> sort of a domino effect of other deals. Um, when you look at the players that Chelsea, hopefully signing Lukaku, United have made two great signings, um, and City have obviously signed Greedy, so they might still get K. It all sort of looks and feels like it's going to be one heck of a title scrap next season between those three and you can, I suppose Liverpool you can't rule them out They're, they've got some players back through through injury because they were missing yeah. badly last season so it could be one heck of a, a scrap this season at the top of the table it should be I mean you would think you know the the, the so-called big six were pretty much going to be whittled down to the big four you know I mean listen Liverpool getting Virgil van Dijk back um, fit Get him firing on all cylinders. It is is it's a very very old cliche, but it is like one of the best signings of the summer, you know. Clearly, um, and the, and there's no way at all that Liverpool, you know, and, and Liverpool don't forget have the interesting thing is is with the we haven't had this summer because of the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona really haven't got the financial firepower anymore. We haven't had you know usually usually with Liverpool you get links to either Sadio Mane or. Mohamed Salah are going to be, you know, going to Real Madrid or Barcelona. We haven't got that anymore. That doesn't exist anymore. That has distorted the transfer market. Hence why the Premier League clubs, plus maybe PSG, hold all the power. So now there's no there's no uncertainty in Liverpool. They're going in with their with their familiar um, familiar front line, familiar squad. Van Dijk back. Um, Gomez, I assume, will be back. You, you know. It's going to be, you know, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with, and all the other sides are are improving. I think it'll be, I think it'll be a great battle between those four clubs. A, a broader point is, do I do I think it's a good thing for the Premier League, English football? Not particularly. You know, I, 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 I go back to my earlier point. I would have liked to have seen them be uh, punished um, with more effectively for what they tried to do with the Super League instead of being fined. You know, four million quid each, you know, and now they're going out and spending 100 million quid on Jack Grealish and giving Romelu Lukaku 250 grand a week. It's hardly, you know, they're, they're hardly paying for what they did um, in that fiasco. So on that broader point, I'm not, I don't necessarily think it's good for English football. Will it be fascinating the way it pans out between Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City and Liverpool? I think it'll be a great battle. I mean, it should be absolutely fantastic. And in essence, what you've got, ironically, is probably a Super League within the Premier League because the gap between those sides and even the mid-table sides um, and, the, and certainly the sides that we expect to be down at the bottom end is just going to increase. You know, As Matt alluded to there, the addition of Lukaku to that squad you know, I mean, I think we'll be, uh, we'll make them a, a real force. And as, again, I repeat, you know, we saw that when they played, when they got the better of City in a couple of games towards the end of last season, City certainly aren't, aren't going to be weakened by the arrival of Grealish and possibly Kane. Um, and United, you know, I, I think possibly the only question mark, uh, maybe two question marks at United is, is is what's going to happen with Pogba. And basically is, is, is the manager who's just got a new contract you know, good enough to actually get this squad, which now looks absolutely, you know, I mean, a real squad that should be contending. Is he good enough to have them actually challenging to win the Premier League? So, just just as an aside on the transfers, um, Villa signed Danny Ings last night for 25 million. Mm. Um, 
it, it to me it looks like a great deal for both parties. You know, they've got a good price for him, um, Southampton, and obviously Ings has got a, a move to a bigger club. I think it's fair to say a much bigger club in Villa in terms of the history and tradition and stuff. Um, you'd expect him to do really well at Villa, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I think that, that, you know, we've overlooked how much of a blow losing um, Jack Grealish is to Aston Villa. You know, they, they had a, a really good season last year. And, uh, I, you know, I hold my hands up. I actually tipped Villa to go down last year because, I, you know, I thought they were really lucky to stay up the season before. And I just didn't see them kicking on like they did. Um, you know, Dean Smith did an absolutely incredible job. And, uh, you know, they were looking onwards and upwards, really, un- until City came in came in for Grealish. But, yeah, signing Danny Ings, you know, another proven Premier League goal scorer, you know, uh, another a player who, who I, I would think w- would probably have more England caps than he's got. But for Harry Kane, you know, he's, he, he scores goals wherever he, go- wherever he goes. And he's a, he, he's, he's a scorer of... Um, you know, all types of goals, you know, tap-ins, spectacular goals, headers. And I think it's a it's a great, great um, uh, capture that for Villa. I, th- I think it will, you know, they can, they've got a man who scores goals. So, you know, they, they will again, probably aiming for, you know, top, top six, top eight. I was just about to move yeah, on I, to I, the um, VAR ch- changes that Matt Dunn was keen to talk about. He's just disappeared off the screen. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> what? He's disappeared off the VAR screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, Jess, just going back to that, to Villa, you know, it's, it's you know, they've signed things. They, they, they've obviously, I agree with Sam when he says it's a real, I mean, it's, it's clearly a blow to have their talisman, their, their, their you know, their leader on the pitch um, leave the club. But, you know, they, they were clearly well prepared for it. They clearly knew it was coming, you know, and they've got their own money as well. And added to that, the Grealish money, I think they'll buy more players. Ings, I think Buandia is a superb signing. You know, and Ollie Watkins, you know, I just think as, as, as was one of the players of last season. I mean, he, he really was. Throw into that, you know, um, sort of defensive, I, I think um, the elements that they've got there, I think, were very good. And I think, you know, they could be amongst the best of the rest. I think they'll be thinking, even without Jack Grealish, they'll be thinking, OK, as I, as I alluded to before, we'll probably have the big four rather than the big six. And Villa will certainly consider themselves in that group with Spurs, Arsenal, maybe Everton. Um, who are vying for the other two positions in the in the top six? Mark, you're back. You're on mute. Well, I am indeed. But so, the odds um, reappeared. You're outside. <laughs> can you talk us through the um, the story you did in the week about the tweaks to the VAR, etc.? Um, there may seem small changes, but it feels like if they're implemented, um, like Mike Riley hopes they are, they, they will make a big change to the game. And you quote Mike Riley saying he wants to give the game back to the fans and speed it up. Actually, I mean we've all, all everyone on this program has been. Sat frustrated so many times at games, waiting for decisions to come to come through. It's been an absolute joke, really, at times. But um, just talk us through what what you think the proposed changes will be, what impact they will have. 
Oh, it's been brilliant. Even just watching those two London friendlies, um, they felt like proper football matches. The players have got to learn that the, the game's changed back again because there was lots of falling over and appealing uh, going on at Stamford Bridge last night. But it's a contact sport again. That's the that's the concept that, that Mike Riley's trying to introduce. I think he personally and all the referees in the Premier League got it wrong last season. They tried to change the game to fit their VAR uh, abilities. Uh, and we want the same game. We just want it to be refereed fairly and accurately. Uh, and now, the the key thing in, in terms of there's two two or three aspects to it. Uh, the first is with penalties uh, in particular. Um, not only does a player have to, does there need to be contact, but it has to be the sort of contact that would knock you over rather than this faintest of contacts that you fall over for. So the idea of the consequence of the challenge has to be that it knocked you over. And there's also a motivation clause in there that if what was the attacker's motivation when he went to ground? Was it that he was trying to win a penalty or was it just that he got knocked over? So all those things have to be met. It's like uh, what an old school penalty always used to be. Um, it's more subjective. But they're the, they're the ballparks that we're, we're living to. But it felt like a proper football match again. Um, and a couple of challenges in those two games that I've watched were allowed to run. Uh, and you think, yeah, good, because, you know, you were looking for that. Uh, and I think we're going back to, to football as it always used to be. Um, with the offsides, they've got rid of this stupid pixel-wide lines that they used to use to, to measure, you know, toenails and noses is what Mike Riley's explain it as being offside. Um, basically, when they draw the lines, they're going to use the thick broadcast lines that they use. Uh, and if those, if there's no daylight between the lines, then you're considered level, which is always the idea was the attackers got the benefit of the doubt. So um, those really tight decisions, you know, uh, they, they, they will no longer rule out. And they reckon that was 19 goals that would they would have saved uh, last season. And we all want more goals, especially when it's, for such a ludicrously short margin, and and I, and I think they're going to try and speed the decision making up by by not taking quite so long analysing it, uh, and that's for good. And the handball one, uh, we've got accidental handballs again. So if you're jumping in the air and the ball bounces up suddenly and hits your arm, you know the reason your arms are in the air is because you're jumping. It's not because you're trying to cheat. So so that's not going to be uh, a handball anymore unless. You knock it into the goal with your hand. That's the one one time that accidental handball doesn't count, um, and it just feels like they've done this massive survey of clubs, managers, um, players, fans, and everyone has looked at various incidents and said, "No, that should be a free kick. That should be a penalty. That shouldn't. That should be handball. That shouldn't." And we're basically now trying to use VAR to give us a, the game that we love, rather than trying to change the game we love to suit you know, black and white rulings of VAR. And I'm, yeah, the two games I've seen have been so much better for it. So I saw you shaking your head there a couple of minutes ago. Do you want to take issue with something? Yeah, I won't trust, I won't let Mike Riley look after my dog. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, th- this was a man who's presided over VAR and made an absolute pig's ear of it. And now he's trying to get himself, you know, out of the dock. Um, hey, um, Simon, don't get me wrong. I don't think he's the hero of this. I think basically he's come around. Ah, I think he's trying to get it right, but and he got it horribly wrong. Um, and I think yeah. he probably admits that privately. He certainly wasn't. I did ask him about v- that. V- listen, v- VAR was used primarily over the last two seasons 
so that Mike Riley and the people that he works with could tell us how great um, Premier League referees were when everybody else could see that our refereeing standards were probably amongst the worst in Europe. And it seems now, which I've not got a problem with, by the way, giving referees a little bit more um, scope to use their common sense. Um, but VAR was brought in to, 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 to prevent them, you know, to, to, to make these decisions, black and white decisions. Now, we'll get the same problems because what we'll get is, well, in the referee's opinion, the game has always been about the referee's opinion. You know, with these changes, why not just get rid of VAR? Keep the goal line technology. Because well, because you've got VAR there. I don't the think... Because what, again, they'll use it and say, oh, in his opinion, that was a penalty. It'll be the same old, same old. In in uh, You know, you're down to people's opinions. And all you'll get is the VAR official, as per usual, backing the referee on the pitch to the hill when everybody watching on TV, because let's not forget, the people who matter, the people who fill the stadiums, still won't get replays of, of these incidents. So they they come out of games, you know, c- completely uh, not understanding why these decisions have been made. And you'll, you'll get VAR, as per usual, you've got referees defending referees. And that has been the problem. That was the problem with VAR for two years, is because not, not enough VAR, uh, VAR officials had the courage or, or the inclination to say to the man in the middle, you got it, or the woman in the middle, you got that wrong. I mean, you know, like I say, Mike Riley should not be anywhere near that role, nowhere near it. I think. Andy, do you, I think we're all in agreement that VR has been an unmitigated disaster, really, in the two years we've, we've experienced it. Can, can, it, can it be salvaged in any way? Can it be refined so it works? Or do, would you just like to see it, like Simon just said, you'd like to see it scrapped and go back to, you know, how we, how we were before, or do you think there's a way of salvaging something from the system? Listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't think it's been an unmitigated disaster and, and, and never have. And I don't think, I don't think it's a case of salvage. I think it's a case of, of, of just getting it, getting it right, getting it as, as well as you can. Listen, the VAR, there's only one, there's only one absolute undeniable fact about VAR is that it's only rubbish if it goes against your team. It's as simple as that. I mean that that is that is the that 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 is you know the Euros. We all say it worked great in the Euros. Why? Because it didn't go against England at any stage, and that's why VAR is only rubbish when it goes against your team. As Simon says, it is essentially just another opinion. That's all it is. And when we talk about the changes to VAR in terms of the penalties, about the contact, and about motivation, about whether he's looking for a penalty, whether there's enough force to send him over. That's been a penalty ever since football started. You know, that is the whole point. That's what you have to make the decision. Is it a, is it a penalty or not? You, 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 that's what you did long before there were even cameras in the ground. You know, you decide whether or not the guy is trying to go down w- w- without enough force, whether he's looking for a penalty, whether he's diving. It's always been the case. That's got nothing to do with VAR. It, it then just comes down to opinion. But VAR, you know, it, it's, again, and, and I look at the league's, over the last two seasons, and you say, Jeremy, about an unmitigated disaster. Well, you know what? I think the leagues have been pretty decent the last two seasons. I think the teams that have been the best teams have won. The, the best teams won the Premier League. The worst team has gone down, and it'll be the same next season and the same this season after. VAR will not change that. VAR 
it is a cliche, but, you know, listen, if you get one bad one one day, you'll get a good one the next. And, you know, I just and, and all this stuff about how it takes the emotion out of the game. Have you noticed any emotion really gone out of the game? I mean, it's just different maybe at times. Well, not over I the just last, think... We've not noticed that over the last 18 months because grounds have been, uh, grounds have been empty. Mm. But certainly, you know, in the initial stages, fans don't celebrate goals with anywhere, didn't celebrate goals with anywhere near the same amount of passion because, you know, most of them had one eye on the big screen to see whether there was a VAR check. So I think it, in terms of the passion and in terms of the spectacle of football, I think VAR has 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 had a, a detrimental, detrimental impact on the game. What was the game I saw at Wembley last season? They all sort of blurred into one event. I think it was was it Chelsea City in the Chelsea Man City in the cup semi final. I, rem- I remember I remember scoring. Was it? Was, was it? You know, I can't, my memory's terrible. Was it Chilwell? I remember the, the, the when I Chilwell Pulisic, crossed. I think Pulisic had a goal disallowed in that game. For, and you know they were celebrating. Yeah. You, you know it was great. They were celebrating, and then of course the City fans were celebrating um, with equal gusto when it, when it, when, it, when VAR overruled it. And I no, that was, think a, that was a massive deal. About the cup final, the Leicester Cup final, when it it looked as though Chilwell had equalised in the last minute, and it was and it was overruled. Yes, that's right. Sorry. Yes, that's right. But it's, it, you know, I just don't, I think just too much is made of it. And and, and the fact of the matter is VAR, for example, at the Euros, um, the game that Wales played in, I think, and, and the drew one each and a goal was disallowed quite rightly that the referee hadn't seen, you know, and, and, and VAR, is lo- VAR is lauded for, for, for getting that right. So I just don't, I think it needs... To be, you know, I think it needs to work as well as it worked, for example, at the Euros, and 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 that's tongue in cheek. It's it, it did work well, even though I'm saying that it works well where it doesn't go against your team. But I just, you know, I I think I I genuinely think that over the course of time it will take. Generally, if you if you introduce something as fundamentally radical as altering the entire way that you officiate a, a match, it will take decades rather than years. To get it right, and eventually, you know, they will get it right. In the same way, in American sports, it's been in for a lot longer, and you watch American sport now, and it's a lot more sophisticated. It's a lot more nuanced. It's a lot more. It works a lot, a, a lot smoother now than it did when they introduced it, say, fifteen, twenty years ago. And that is going to be the same with football. We won't see VAR working ultra smoothly until, well, until we probably retired from covering football. But basically, um, what Mike Riley's done, by the way, is change the offside law. Thicker lines, so you know he's basically changed the offside yes. law because it doesn't suit that you know the, the way VAR. So, so a player that was offside last season because the line was thinner won't be offside this season. Now, for me, the hardest job in officiating is is the lines, the linesmen and women getting offside decisions right is so so difficult. Let you know that it literally is the blink of an eye, and the game is is so quick now. That it's probably been more difficult than ever. So Mike Riley's basically Mike Riley's solution to that is well, we'll basically mm-hmm. change the offside mm-hmm. law by making the line thicker. You you you'll be certain that somebody will draw up um, comparisons. So some some you know some computer tech whiz kid will draw a comparison. Well, last year this was offside because his his knee was offside, but this year it isn't because the line's thicker. So you know he's well, that's, that's what they did. They've, they've changed the they've changed the offside law. You know, well, it, it, the, the upside law gets changed regularly, but I mean, it is open to interpretation as to what level is. Uh, and when you're level with somebody, 
you know, it's just the interpretation of the rule that changes. And I think what they're trying to do finally is trying to, because they've got this technology that nobody imagined in 1863 when they drew, drew up the rules of football, that, um, that uh, what they're doing now is they're trying to make it so that the laws fit the game we want to see rather than, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, Mike Riley was one of the worst culprits in trying to say how good our new technology is and how we can absolutely make black and white decisions on the game, which actually no one wanted. People want that benefit of the doubt to the attacker, which has been part of the laws of the game um, in the offside rule, because some, like they say, 19 goals, they've already done the analysis, the, the, the clever wits kids. They've gone back through last season and said, actually this season, 19 of those goals would have stood. And I think every single one of them, you felt a bit of a, a shame because normally they were, they always seem to be the best goals that got ruled out by, by the faintest of margins. And, and I think what we're trying to do is create the game we love, but have that safety net, which is what VAR was supposed to be, the Frank Lampard, you know, goal line technology as well, the Frank Lampard goal, everything else. Fafana, no VAR yeah. yesterday. Fafana, the foul that broke his leg or the challenge that broke his leg wasn't even given as a foul. That's why you have VAR. I mean, there's no, no sort of nothing, Fafana doesn't benefit from it, but at least you get a, somebody saying, hang on a second, something needs to be done about this. I saw a dozen, minimum dozen, uh, potentially, you know, um, threatening tackles last year that should have been red cards that were, that were not given, even with VAR in, VAR in place. And can you just sort of bring to attention as well, anybody who, who thinks Mike Riley should be in that job, take a look at Mike Riley when he was a referee. <laughs> Please, there's, there's a video on YouTube. It was a day that Man United ended Arsenal's 49-game unbeaten run. And the tackles that went in that day made the Leeds Chelsea FA Cup final in 1978 look like a, a, a kid's birthday party. And Mike, Mike, Riley, Mike Riley was issuing red cards for kicking the ball, yellow cards for kicking the ball away but couldn't spot, spot a potential leg-breaking challenge from five metres away. Seriously. <laughs> well, I, I get the personal thing about Mike Riley because, yeah, uh, I don't think he's a leader of anything particularly. He's a, a, an office person, a pen pusher that that's try, has been pushing the pens in the wrong direction for two years. I think now he's actually got his heart, if he has a heart, of course, with these referees, you never know, uh, in the right place. And I think he's trying to with a lot of nudging from those around him, he's finally seen the light and he's trying to get the, the football that we want and the VAR that we want. Um, and this was before what happened in the Euros. The Euros just endorsed that this is definitely the way to go because I don't think it was bad. The only downside is if we have Premier League VAR next season, um, Raheem Sterling doesn't get that penalty against Denmark. If in he, he said, you know, and I think that's possibly... Without without wearing three lines on our shirt, it's probably yeah. the right decision. But but yeah, I, I think we're going to see a better better game of football, uh, and that's key to, to what we we all want. Surely, just, just quickly going back to what, how Simon sort of um, began began um, talking about this is the bottom line is the reason why VR was good as well in the Euros is basically because the refereeing standards were so much higher than they are across the Premier League. Now, listen, by the way, I think the actual, our, our referees, um, another refereeing um, friend of Simon's, Anthony Taylor, for example, had a good Euro. Yeah, I, 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 very good. I think Michael Oliver had, had a very good Euro. In fact, I think if I think if England hadn't, hadn't got to the final, they might have even had the chance of, 
of taking the final. But I do think on, on a broader issue, there were so many good referees there who who just, you know, who were backed up by VAR. They were supported by them. So when Felix Brich and, and um, you know, um, Kuypers and and Lahoos, who refereed the Champions League final as well, did he? when they're letting things go, when they're letting it flow, they aren't getting involved. They're not, as you said, Matt, it, it, they understood they are there specifically, fundamentally, as a backup. And the type of things that the, the, the VAR is there for, going back through history, is the Thierry Henry ball, for example, against Ireland. That is the ultimate example of where VAR comes in. That's the type of thing. We brought goal line technology in because of the Frank Lampard ghost goal, essentially. And the Thierry Henry ball was was basically one of the fundamental reasons of VAR. And that should remain that way. I totally agree. But VAR basically knew its role was just to back up some superb referees at Euro 2020. But that's what it did. They're the best out there. That's why they don't, that, that's why those referees are out in the middle of the park and not sat in a bunker watching a few computer screens. That's why. So, so basically, the best, the best ones are there. So, you know, VAR, when they're saying they're overruling, well, they're overruling the best they've got. And I don't think they should. And I don't think they did in the Euros. And I think VAR basically knew its place. And, and it, it should get to know its place in the Premier League. Well, I think it's fair to say it won't be the last time we discuss VAR. In the- <laughs> <laughs> um, just want to wrap it up, fellas, by looking at mm. Saturday. Uh, it's the Community Shield at Wembley. Um, Man City against Leicester. Si, uh, uh, Leicester, we, we mentioned, I mentioned at the start of the programme, um, knocked on the door, really, last couple of seasons, then just sort of fallen at the final hurdle. Um They've obviously suffered a massive blow this week with um, with losing Fafana to a broken leg, which rules him out for several months. Like, I don't know about you, but I think Fafana's a really top, top class mm. player. only 20. So that's clearly a horrendous start for, for um, Brendan Rodgers. But do, do you think do you think Leicester will will challenge for the top four again this season? Um, no. Um, I don't think they've... Uh, you know, the loss of Fafana's a, a, a huge blow to them. Um, I, I, Listen, this is two years on the bounce now where they've they've faded away when it seemed like the you know the top four in the Champions League place was there for the taking. Um and it, it's become a little bit a little bit of a habit for Leicester. That, uh, and I just don't see them making that step to challenge the, the, the teams that finished in the top four last season. I think Dunny touched on it earlier. I think the gap between the top four, there's a mini super league in the Premier League now, yeah. and the gap between the top four and the rest. Is just too too much for for Leicester, and I, I like Brendan Rodgers. I think he's a really astute manager. He's done a really good job at Leicester. Won the FA Cup last year, and that was a great story. You know, Leicester winning the FA Cup, but I, I just think it's too much of a gap for anybody, not just Leicester, but but the you know those that finished outside the top four last year to to bridge. Matt, would would Brendan uh, Rodgers have swapped the FA Cup win for a top four finish? Um. Yeah, he might have, might have done for his own personal ambitions, but I don't think any of the fans would. Um, that, that was certainly the sense you got last year. Um, you measure your, your ability and, and what you've done, don't you, over a season uh, as, as a size of thing. But it, it is now so hard to win trophies that, that those memories will, will live on. Um, I, I feel sorry for Leicester because I think they, they've made such a good stab at trying to break into that top four. They've got this season... Uh, I would put them as more likely to break into that top four uh, than than Arsenal or Spurs either. Um, 
just on the basis of what we've seen so far this summer. But it's still a long, long way away because, as Andy says, that top four now are looking like the top four of about a decade ago where it was established or 15 years ago where it was the same top four every year. And, uh, you know, they're just getting stronger and stronger. Um, but, I mean, they, they, yeah, so, yeah, I, th- I think they just got to hope to, you know, grab a few results and, and see where that takes them. It's... It's the bad news for the Premier League, to be honest, having that dominant top four, because, you know, unless it generates a, a sort of title race that, that we've, that, you know, that compensates for the fact that, that there are so few teams that can actually do well in the Premier League this season. Andy, the um, Community Shield is essentially a, a curtain raiser, isn't it, for the start of the top flight season. Do you think... That double prong question: Do you do you think it will be a really competitive game on Saturday, and should it be classed as a trophy, a proper trophy? Should it be on you know if you when you write down oh Pep Guardiola's won thirty major trophies, do you include Community Shields? Yes, yes, I, I do. Yeah. I, I, I do. I think I think it's going to be this particular instalment. I think will be absolutely a belting game. I'm sure it'll be a good game. Two managers playing football, you know, good football. Don't forget, ninety thousand people there, you know, on on this this coming Saturday. Hopefully, it'll be an antidote to the scenes that we saw the last time um, all four of us were at Wembley. Um, and you know, ninety thousand people. It will it will again feel like you know we've had all these staging posts, haven't we, about feeling a return to normality? You know, a cup final that was a quarter full, a Euro final that was well officially three quarters full, but you know. <clears throat> probably over capacity by the time the lads and fish and girls get getting into the ground. Um, and we've had all these, 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 these markers, haven't we, about feeling back to normal. And even though you probably have to, you know, jump through a couple of hoops to get into Wembley on Saturday, 90,000 in for a game between, between these clubs will feel like at the start of a normal season, you know, what we hope to be a normal season. And I think they'll respond to it. You know, I think the players will respond to it. I'm I'm hugely looking forward to the game. I think it'll be a cracker. I think you've got, as I say, two great managers, two two really entertaining teams. Um, the start of August, the Premier League season a week away, the EFL season starting that weekend. I just think... I just think it'll be great. And, and and I do think, you know, I think in any other country, you know, I think the fact that we called it, I mean, initially the Charity Shield and now the Community Shield sort of takes it away a bit. You know, I mean, what obviously other countries would call it the Super Cup, wouldn't they? I mean, let's face it, it, it is the equivalent of of the Super Cup that the, the, the European football has, you know, the Champions League winners versus the Europa League winners. And that's where it is. I mean, I, I would have, I, I'm, I'm not one for... I'm not a great one for rebranding and stuff like that, you know, but I genuinely would not object to it being rebranded as the Super Cup. And, and, and you know, listen, you win a trophy, you parade that trophy around Wembley. It will be a competitive game. Yeah, it's a trophy. I mean, Super Shield. Yeah, Super Shield, Super Cup. I, I, I would have no objection at all. I think it's a, it's a genuine, as long as they keep it at Wembley and don't, for example, take it um, to, is it, is it, is it Spain who've taken it to the States or or, or played? Or, or, you know, certainly other leagues have decided that they can earn money yeah. playing it abroad. And that has been suggested in the past, don't forget, that, you know, the so-called 39th game might actually be something like the Community Shield taken away and played um, on foreign soil. I hope it's not. And I think I think Saturday will be an absolute cracker. Yeah, well, let's hope so. And the season is upon us, so it's, it's exciting times. I know 
just finished with England and all that, and it's come yeah. around again soon. But I'm sure once we get in full swing of things, it's going to be a fantastic season. So let's wrap it up there, guys. Um, thanks so much for joining us, for everyone at home uh, watching or listening in. I hope you can join us again next week. And thanks to the guys. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Simon. And thanks to Matt. Okay. Hopefully, see you next week. Thank you.